Morning. Morning, morning. Uh, as I did before class, I would ask you all that you would pray for the Abel family um, and the passing of my friend Max. Uh, he was a fellow preaching major with me who had cancer. He was, I guess it's been over, well, he had cancer for over a year, um, and he passed away the 6th early morning, and uh, I asked that you pray for his family, pray for his wife, that they would be able to grieve and still look to God. And so before we get into our sermon, I'm going to pray for their family again. God, I come to you again, I pray for the Abel family. I pray that they would be able to grieve. There's nothing wrong with coming to you with our grief, our pain, our suffering, maybe even confusion and maybe even frustration. Lord, we know that you are a loving, gracious God and you would receive us even if we come to you in such pain, confusion, and anger, Lord. We know that you can uh, comfort us. We know that you can understand us. And so I pray that the Abel family would grieve. I pray that when time comes, I know it's, gonna, it's never going to go away fully, but I pray that you would allow them to feel comforted and feel your peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to know if you've heard this question before. Did you not just hear me? Right? And now that question, you know, if you've had a mom, which obviously all of us have had moms to some extent, maybe it's not your biological mom, but regardless, a mother figure, they might ask you this question, did you not just hear me? Right? And maybe for you spouses out there, specifically the husbands, you probably have heard this question. Or maybe you didn't hear it, but I'm sure that your wife has asked you that question. Did you not just hear me? And we all know the kind of the context that this question is asked in, right? It's sometimes when they maybe ask you, hey, uh, could you go take the trash out now? And then you might say something, oh, I I will in 10 minutes. And they might say, did you not just hear me, right? The implication being like, hey, did you not hear the word now? (laughs) So sometimes when when we're asked this question, Husbands, uh, kids, when you're asked this question, the issue is not necessarily hearing as much as it is maybe understanding, as much as it is the question computing, right? So sometimes it's an issue of understanding and not hearing. And in John chapter 6, this crowd that has followed Jesus after the feeding of the 5,000, the issue does not seem to be hearing, right? They have sound coming in one ear but it seems to just go out the other, right? They don't seem to understand. They don't learn. So John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're resuming our uh, sermon series, obviously, and our discussion on this long passage surrounding the feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6, verse 41, it says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from Heaven, right? They're grumbling. They're not content, all right? They're talking under their voice, like, what do you mean by you're the bread? I just want more of that bread that you gave us, right? They're grumbling under their breath. Verse 42, they continue, they say, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven, right? Is this not the little kid that we saw growing up? Is this not the kid that you changed? You changed their diaper, right? Is this not the son of Mary and Joseph? Now, it's hard to say. It's hard to say what exactly they thought of Jesus and his family. But, but one thing that we got to keep in mind, it seems like a, a known thing that Mary got pregnant 
before her and Joseph were officially married. And I, I'm sure that Mary probably told people like, hey, no, 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 this baby, it's from God, right? The Holy Spirit came and gave me this baby. I'm sure she told people that. And it seems that she told people that based on the Gospels. Now, do you think the people hearing that thought she was telling the truth, right? Do you think they took her seriously or do you think they were thinking, yeah, sure, Mary, you got pregnant uh, before you and Joseph got married, right? No, the most likely thing, they probably thought that her and Joseph, you know, they just weren't waiting, right? They just weren't waiting. So I don't know exactly what the crowd thinks of Jesus and his family, uh, but presumably, maybe not the most upstanding family. They probably had some sort of stigma that they viewed Mary with uh, as being less than because she had a baby uh, conceived before she was married. So maybe they're like, we know you, Jesus. We know your father and mother. We know what they are like. Who are you to say that you've come down from heaven? Verses 43 through 44, the text says, Jesus answers them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can no one is able to come to the Father or to come to Jesus unless the Father who sent Jesus draws him. This is another verse that many people divide over, obviously, on how to interpret. And we kind of talked about this last week. There are people who are Calvinists that would say, oh, this verse means that only some come because only some are drawn. Right? There's that interpretation. And I know, I know some of you might not be. Uh, really aware of what Calvinists think or how they interpret Scripture, and that's all right. I wasn't really aware until I went to college. We went through all the different kinds of views just so we could be aware of those different views. Uh, But before being taught these different perspectives, I don't know about you, but when I was taught about what Calvinists believed, they were just talked of almost as in par with atheists. Growing up, that's what I was taught. These people, they're they're just basically like atheists. Right? And we kind of viewed them as enemies. Now, while I think Calvinists, their, their interpretation is off in Scripture, I don't know that we should view them like that. I don't know that we should treat them like enemies. And so one of the biggest issues I have with their interpretation, how they interpret Scripture, is that they will take several verses throughout uh, Scripture to interpret the context as a whole rather than letting the context as a whole interpret those verses, if you get what I'm saying here. So, How do I think verse 44 here? Let's read it again. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. How do I think, uh, and how do I think, or there's a lot of commentators who would suggest this, how should it be interpreted? Well, first off, that verse there says no one can come. No one can come. That word, therefore, can is able. No one has the ability to come unless the Father draws him, right? So the Father's drawing is not about a 100% guarantee that someone will come, but rather the Father's drawing is connected to someone having the ability to come. Now let me provide you some more context. John chapter 12. Hold on to that for a second. John chapter 12. Verses 32 through 36. Just more context in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, And when I am lifted up from the earth... Well, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, 
We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. This text is really good, but what I really want you to focus on there is verse 32, when Jesus says, And when I am lifted up, Right, that referring to when he's going to be crucified will draw, that's the same word used in John chapter 6, I will draw all people to myself. He doesn't just say some. I will draw all people to myself. Now, based on a Calvinist interpretation of John chapter 6, if they think that the Father's drawing causes people to come, well then, based on John chapter 12, wouldn't that mean Everybody was saved if Jesus draws everyone. We know that not to be true because Jesus is not a universalist. In John chapter 5, verse 29, there are those who practice what is good and they'll be raised to a resurrection of life and there will be those who practice what is evil and they'll be raised to a resurrection of judgment. Jesus is not a universalist. right? So what do I think this means? What do I think he means back in John chapter 6, verse 44? No one can, no one is able all right, Jesus has drawn everybody. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, people now have this opportunity at salvation, at new life that they did not have before. Nobody had this opportunity. Nobody could have experienced salvation without what Jesus did on the cross. So everybody, everybody has been drawn, but not all come. Everybody is able to come, but not everybody does. All right, so, you know, after we're done with our class series and uh, the, the spiritual gifts, I think we might just have a class series on these two views so we can go more in depth so you can have a good understanding. And why do I even bring this up? Why even, Aaron, why do you bring up Calvinism if you don't believe that kind of interpretation? Well, it's good to know. All right, here's the thing when it comes to if somebody has this belief that's opposing to your own, it's a good idea to understand what they believe. Why? So you can respond. If you don't understand their belief, their interpretation, how are you going to be able to respond to them and communicate to them what you interpret Scripture to mean, right? So that's simply why I bring it up. Let's continue. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 45. This verse is also key to interpreting verse 44. Verse 45 says, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. All right, so this is central to understanding verse 44. Right? It's not that only some come because only some have been drawn. That's not what that is saying. And here Jesus says, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Right? So all will be taught, but not all hear and learn. And here in Jesus, he quotes Isaiah 54, 13. Let's provide some more context. Isaiah 54, 13 this is what Jesus quotes here. It says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Now, the question is, in Isaiah 54, 13, is God, is this referring to the children of Israel? Or is this referring to more than just the children of Israel? Well, let's go to the context. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 6. It says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Who does that sound like? 
right? Jesus is talking about, come to me, you know, all who thirst. <laughs> uh, come and you shall not hunger. Uh, believe and you shall not thirst. Who does that sound like? Verse 2, Isaiah 55. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Again, who does that sound like? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Verse 5, very important. Behold, you shall call a nation that, that, uh, that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So back all the way to John chapter 6 when he says, when Jesus says that all will be taught by God, he seems to understand in Isaiah that means everyone. He's not just talking about the Israelites. As Isaiah 55 said, he talks about this nation that did not know God. That's everyone that is not an Israelite. Right? So when Jesus says all will be taught by God, he means all, not just some. All will be taught by God. But who are those who come? As Jesus says back in John chapter 6, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Those who have heard and learned. Now that pairing is very intentional, right? Because what's hearing without learning? Or understanding. What, what, is, what is hearing without understanding? It means nothing, right? You're just going to be a pair of ears doing nothing, right? What is hearing without learning? And after all, this crowd that's following Jesus, they hear him. They got the sound coming in their ears, but they don't understand. They don't learn. Right? If, if they understood Jesus to be the bread of life, if they understood him to be the satisfaction that, that they've been seeking for, would they be grumbling? No. They would seek him. They would follow him. And in verse 45 here, the, the word here for learn, the Greek word is not just a knowledge. It's not just knowledge. It's knowledge. It's understanding that you then make a habit out of something. Right? So maybe an example of this would be like, I don't know, as a kid, if you touch a hot pan and your parents then say, well, what did you learn? They don't mean, now you know pans can be hot if they're on the stove. They don't just mean that. They mean, what did you learn? Well, now you should know. Maybe you should make a habit of not touching hot pans. Right? So this word here, this Greek word here for learn, is not just about knowledge. Rather, it's about knowledge that you then take and make a habit out of something. So this pair, hearing and learning, is very important. Those who come are those who hear and learn. Not just those who hear, but those who hear and Learn, they come to Jesus. Continue on, verse 46, John chapter 6. It says, Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Now, Jesus, he's going to pick this up later in the gospel. It might be a little confusing right now, especially to uh, the listeners. Uh, in John chapter 14, just to give you an appetizer of this, John chapter 14, verses 8 through 11, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. But Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. So Jesus is going to pick up on this later. This idea that once they've seen him, 
they've seen the Father. Back to John chapter 6, verse 47, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So I want you to remember something. Those who hear and learn, right, they come to Jesus. And earlier in John chapter 6, what did we see coming paired with? Believing. Right? So it could be said that those who hear, those who learn, they come and believe, and they present tense have eternal life. Right? You see, hearing and learning is tied to coming and believing. Jesus is really kind of uh, saying almost the same things in just different words here. Those who hear and learn come and believe, and they present tense, that word there uh, that Jesus says when he says, whoever believes has, again, that is present tense. They currently have eternal life. Eternal life is not just some distant future. It's something that is attainable now through him. They have eternal life. And this idea of eternal life is important for us to dwell on. There has been an attempt by some to change the meaning of the word eternal in the Greek. Um, Trying to say, oh, it doesn't really mean eternal. Uh, But the Greek word literally means without end, never ceasing, never ending. There's no mincing words when it comes to the word eternal. He means never ending, never ceasing life. And here's the thing about eternity. It is a beautiful thing for those who are in Christ. And yes, It is a horror for those who are not. Now, this is not an attempt to scare you into heaven or anything like that. That is just true. It's such a beautiful thing for those who are in Christ. And it really bothers me that there are some who are trying to write out eternity from the Bible. Self-proclaiming Christians, which I don't even know if you could call yourself a Christian, if you don't believe in the promise of Jesus of eternal life. I think of my friend Max. What a great friend. What a great preacher. I think of how he was faithful even though he's in so much pain. Looking forward to that hope of eternal life that was promised by Jesus himself. So no, I don't think you can call yourself a Christian if you don't believe in the promise of Jesus of eternal life. There is a guarantee of life that is never ending in Jesus. Jesus emphasizes yet again, verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Look to me for life. Stop stop looking at whatever you think you have life in. Stop looking at what doesn't last. Look to me. I am the bread of life. And then he gives the Jews a wake-up call in verse 49. He says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Remember what the Jews said back in verse 31? They said, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They value probably a little too much what their fathers did, experienced, what their fathers believed. They were looking back to that, that manna, and not to Jesus. That manna was something that didn't last. Remember, God provided that for 40 years, but that was it. And now he sent something else. He sent Jesus as bread that lasts. And yet they don't look to him. 
They just think about what their fathers did, what they thought, what they believed. They value that a little too much. And here's the thing. Maybe you have family members. Maybe you have family members who look in the wrong places for life. Maybe you have family members that not only look in the wrong places for life, but they try to point you in the wrong direction. Here's what I want you to know. Even though your family is your family, that does not mean they are right. That's hard to say sometimes. That's hard to believe sometimes because we love our family. But just because they're your family does not make them right. There is one person who can guarantee you something, one person who guarantees something that lasts. It's not your family member. It is Jesus. I got family members who look in the wrong places. But just because they look in the wrong places does not mean I'm going to turn away from Jesus. And Jesus, he kind of sums this up all nicely. Verses 50 through 51. He says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Pretty clear what eternal life means. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. You're saying we've got to eat your flesh? Or is he literally talking about flesh or is this metaphorical? What is he talking about here? We're going to save that for next week. But for now, what I really want you to dwell on, what I really want you to take away is that Jesus, he promises eternal life. He promises life that never ends, life where there is no more pain, no more tragedy, no more crying, perfect life in him. And man, to call yourself a Christian, you've got to believe in that because Jesus promises that. If you don't believe him, then you're calling him a liar. So I pray that you respond to him. I pray that you respond to him. You know, I know sometimes when I get preaching, it, it might sound like I'm angry. I'm not angry at you all. I don't want you all to be misled or anything like that. I'm angry at the people who try to take away from the promises of Christ. There are beautiful promises in Christ. Christ promises us something so beautiful. So if I'm angry at anything, I'm angry at the people who try to take away from that. So I pray that you hear and learn. Don't just hear. I pray that you learn from the Father. You can as we stand and sing.